Uh, This morning we've got two um, short readings from Acts. Uh, The first reading uh, from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. And the second reading from Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through to chapter 8, verse 3. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you very much for reading that, Martin, and good morning, everyone. It's nice to be able to add my welcome to Neil's. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll, um, we'll get into things. Heavenly Father, it's a beautiful morning, and so we do thank you for the great joy and privilege it is to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, to sing your praises, to come before you humbly in prayer, to sit under your word. Uh, to share the bread and the wine this morning, remember all, all, remembering all that you've done for us in your Son. And I pray that through this time together this morning, you would work within us by your Spirit. And particularly now, as we spend these next few minutes thinking about your servant Stephen, the one who Neil's already told us this morning, our church takes its name from, that you would encourage our hearts, maybe challenge our hearts, as we look at the way that he followed you and trusted you. Please work it within us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as Neil said, this morning we're going back to our series in Acts. We've been doing a a series of summer psalms over the kind of January months, but because, in fact, I was going to ask as a quiz, what's 
different about this Sunday than last Sunday, about the change of Christian season, but Ray and Neil have already spoiled that for me. Uh, it is Lent, so it felt like a good... Don't feel bad, Ray. Uh, it felt like a good uh, time to change the series, and so we're going back into the book of Acts, this incredible book that we've been looking at uh, for quite a few chapters l- late last year, seeing the spread of the gospel. So Jesus has died, he's risen, he's then uh, been with the disciples while he was risen, but then he's ascended back to the Father, he's now gone the spirits come down and these apostles and Christians are now taking the good news of Jesus and changing the world. That's the story of Acts. That's the story of what we've been seeing. And today, and we're going to be back in Acts for at least the next four weeks, and today we're seeing the first martyr, Stephen, the first person put to death for their faith and trust in Jesus. And, as we've said, the man that our church was named after. And the plan was, when I planned it last year, that we were going to do the whole of Stephen in one go. So Stephen, if you know the book of Acts, is the second half of chapter 6, all of chapter 7, and the beginning of chapter 8. But when I looked at it this week, I thought we can't do all of it when we're first week back into Acts and its communion, so we're always a little bit bit more rushed. So what we've done is, this morning we're looking at the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 8, which is the bit Martin read, and the bit we've missed out is one long speech. Because what happens is Stephen is arrested by the people that we heard. He's then accused. And what he does is he gives this huge speech. And uh, it's the speech that we've missed out. That's all we've missed out. We'll look at that next week. So we're going to think about Stephen from the narrative parts in chapter 6 and chapter 8 this morning. And then we'll go back and do the speech that he gives uh, next week. I hope that's okay with, with everyone. Now, I don't think I have to mount this as an argument. I think this is self-explanatory and no one's going to come back at me. But we are living in a time of change in 2018. Every period of time is a time of change at one level. But particularly at the moment, the times that you and I live in, in this particular place at this particular time, is a time of huge change in our society. For a long time, New Zealand has basically been a a country where Christianity has had a huge impact and influence on our society and nation. Since the time that Marsden and a lot of the uh, CMS missionaries came out here, the influence they had and, and that the gospel continued to have in our country was huge. But that is changing, and I think you can argue has changed. The Christian ideal of being other person centered has been almost totally replaced by the me culture of today where everything is about what I can get out of things and asserting my rights. The Christian ideal of generosity and hospitality has been replaced, I think, by a a kind of um, aggressive individualism and a hollow materialism and greed. The change in sexual standards is almost unrecognisable from 30 years ago. We've gone from being a place where there was seen to be objective truth, things are true or false in and of themselves, to a place and a time where it's basically subjective truth. Something may be true for you, but it's not true for me. We've moved from a country where Christianity had a huge amount of influence and crossover in normal society to a place where Christians now today are increasingly out of step with the world around us. We think differently. We have different standards. We're more and more ridiculed or stand out or hammered or shamed for being different in those kind of ways. And in this kind of reality, it is much harder to stand up for and live for Jesus. It's harder and harder to live different lives, to have different priorities, uh, different morals, different choices, different ways. But I do want to remind you that in history, it's usually been that way. 
Although New Zealand and a number of countries in the, in the West in the last few hundred years have enjoyed this big influence of Christianity, usually historically, Christianity has been a persecuted minority. Christianity hasn't had the big sway in places. And in our passage, it was worse than it, than it is for us today for Stephen. For, for, for someone who followed Jesus, it meant being completely out of step with the world around them. And Stephen, we see today, pays the ultimate price. Stephen is the first person to die because he put his faith in Jesus and lived for Jesus above anything else. And I hope that what we'll do in the next few minutes is be encouraged by Stephen, challenged by Stephen, and have a similar attitude to Stephen. So let's have a look at him through the verses in these uh, couple of chapters in Acts. We were actually introduced to him earlier in the first half of chapter 6. We saw this a few months ago when, do you remember, there was an incident in the local church in Jerusalem where there were some Grecian widows who were missing out on being fed. And the apostles said, look, we can't do that. We've got to keep doing the, the ministry of the word. That's the priority. But this is a really important thing to do. So they appointed 12 people full of wisdom and the spirit. Stephen was one of those. He was one of those that was appointed to feed the widows. Uh, In chapter 6, verse 8, we're told Stephen is a man full of God's grace and power. He's well known within the Christian community, and therefore, from those looking into the Christian community, he's also well known. And it seems that he was the focus of a group of uh, Jews in particular who were against Christianity, and they would try and single him out, argue against him but they couldn't match his wisdom. Have a look at chapter 6, verse 9. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. There are a few things more frustrating, and I speak from experience here, than just not being able to win an argument against someone repeatedly. Uh, And well, these guys, I react badly to that. These guys react even worse. And so what they do is they persuade some people to charge Stephen with blasphemy to stir up this accusation against Stephen, to say that he's blaspheming against Moses and against God. And that gets a a, a big number of people against Stephen. And so he's brought before the Sanhedrin, this religious court. And chapter 6, verse 13 says, they produced false witnesses against Stephen. And these false witnesses testified, Stephen never stopped speaking against this holy place, that would have been the temple, and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now, do you see the underlying issue there in their accusations? Their problem, their accusation, is that Stephen follows Jesus before Moses. That Stephen puts more significance on Jesus than the temple. That he he puts way too much emphasis on Jesus. And then, in response to these charges... Stephen gives the speech that I spoke about that's in chapter 7. We didn't hear it, but we'll look at it next week. It's a very important speech. It's the longest speech in Acts, which should tell you something about its importance. We've already heard some uh, long speeches in Acts from Peter, Day of Pentecost, that kind of thing. This is longer. Paul, who will become the main character in the book, he will have some big speeches. None of them are longer than Stephen's. Uh, So we'll look at that next week. But spoiler alert, he will not deny Jesus. That's where he's going with it. Well, then in chapter 7, verse 54, as we pick up the story again, we see the Sanhedrin respond to the speech that Stephen has given, and they become enraged. Gnashing of teeth is the kind of words that use. That's to show their anger at what he said. 
But then I think something wonderful happens. If Stephen is being lied against, if you've ever been lied against, you know how awful that is. He's now facing rage, mob mentality. But wonderfully, in the midst of this awful situation, God graciously gives Stephen the thing that would have encouraged him the most in the world. He's given a vision into the heavens. We're told, verse 55, he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen is so overcome, he speaks out what he sees with his eyes. Verse 56, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, that's very important, that not sitting at the right hand of God. If you know in the book of Hebrews, it makes a big point that Jesus is our high priest and he sits at the right hand of God. And his position of being seated at the right hand of God is very important because a priest would sit down when their work was done. And the fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God means for you and I that for the the sheep that that Jesus has operated on as, as high priest, his work is done. It's all been done for you. He's seated at the right hand. That's a wonderful kind of joy. But here and here, he stands to greet his faithful servant. He stands to see Stephen, the one who stood for him. It's a lovely touch that's going on here. As Stephen faces his death, as he faces these lies about himself and this anger and hostility from his countrymen, as he stands true to his faith in Jesus, the Lord Jesus stands for him. He's granted a vision of his Saviour and Lord, standing to acknowledge him and receive him. It's a beautiful moment. And I do want you to know this morning that Jesus does this for all that are his, for all, in death. As we face death, we may not see a vision of the Lord Jesus before we die, but we will see the Lord Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant afterwards. He's he's the Lord of life and death. It's a wonderful moment here, and I pray that we, we know the truth of it and look forward to that moment. But this is the last straw for the crowd. Him saying this kind of incenses them even more. They're even more uh, up in arms that Stephen is blaspheming. You can see that, by the way, in verse 57, they cover their ears. They don't want to hear such blasphemy. And so they drag him out of the city and they begin to stone him. But we're then told something which seems a bit random at first. Verse 58, the witnesses, that's the people who are going to do it, laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And this is a new person. We haven't met Saul before. Here's the introduction to the person Saul, who will soon be known as Paul, who will become the most important human character in the book of Acts. But here he's still Saul. He's a man devoted to the persecution of Christians. He's a man devoted to the destruction of the Christian faith. Well, we we get the mention of him here. Well, as they stone him, we then see Stephen say two more things while he's being stoned. Verse 59, he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then in verse 60, he falls to his knees and he cries out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. I love it that we're named after Stephen. Isn't that a great attitude to have? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold the sin against them. As we hear those words, I hope, and I'm sure it will, it's ringing a bell for you. It's kind of familiar tone to us. They are, of course, two of the things that Jesus himself said as he was dying on the cross. Do you remember? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Stephen does the same thing here. The only difference is 
where Jesus committed his spirit to his father and asked God to forgive the sins of the killers, Stephen asks Jesus to receive his spirit and Jesus to forgive those killing him. Because for Stephen, and I hope for you and I, Jesus is God himself, God the Son. Stephen's trust and faith is in this person. Stephen only speaks three times in these, first, in these few verses as he faces his death. And when you're facing your death, what's important to you comes out. But all three are either about or to Jesus. That's the reason he's being put to death. For Stephen, Jesus was Lord and Savior above every other authority, more important than anything else in life. Jesus was first and foremost in everything. The one to follow, the one to obey, the one to thank, the one to love, the one to proclaim. Stephen wouldn't deny him no matter what the cost was. And when he knew what the cost was, instead of turning from Jesus, he turned to Jesus and cried out to him. Jesus has said during his lifetime that his disciples must take up their cross and follow him. Stephen's doing that here. And then he acts like Jesus, entrusting his spirit into Jesus' hands and praying for the very people that are putting him to his death. I think if Stephen, you can't prove this, can you, but I think if Stephen had denied Jesus, they may well have let him go. If he'd minimized Jesus and said, yeah, I, I do like Jesus, but Moses is the kind of key thing. The temple's the key. They may have kind of given him a warning. And, but, but Stephen wouldn't do that. Jesus first. Stephen knew that he was about to die. And so he turned and called out to the one he knew would receive his, his uh, spirit and the one he'd receive forgiveness from, praying for that forgiveness for others. It's an incredible scene. Stephen himself then dies put to death for his faith in Jesus. And there's a reminder there that Christians don't always finish well physically. Our prayers don't always lead to physical healing or rescue. We need to know that as Christians because sometimes we think God's failed or he's not interested or there's... No, Christians believe physical death is not the end. But there's also a reminder here that although at one level for Stephen this would have been so painful, for his family and perhaps for other Christians, it would have been devastating. Even in something so painful and evil, God is still bringing good from it. Because the passage finishes with this smaller side at the end of verse 60 or chapter 8 verse 1, it's hard to kind of tell, which tells us that Saul approved of this death. Here's this Saul again. He approved of this death. And then he goes on a rampage, destroying the church and getting them arrested. And I think that's a lovely little touch by Luke, the author. Because here we see that Saul is all for Stephen being put to death, and he then goes out and he acts in violence and anger accordingly. And yet we know that this event touched Paul greatly. If you keep reading in the book of Acts, by the time you get to chapter 22... Paul talks about remembering, guarding the clothes of those killing Stephen and approving of it. The die, in other words, what, what happens? The dying words of Stephen, do not hold this sin against them, were absolutely answered in the life of this young man Saul because his sins were forgiven. His life was turned around completely and he spent the rest of his days going out and proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the whole entire world. You see, we can't often see what God is doing through evil things, and yet he may well be. Stephen dies here, that's an awful tragedy, and yet God still uses it for good. Well, as we draw to a close this morning, all I want to do really 
is to do something fairly simple, but I want to encourage you to follow in the footsteps of Stephen as he followed in the footsteps of Jesus. To put, to put Jesus before everything else in life. As I said at the start, it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian today. We're more out of step with the people around us. We're more different. Therefore, often we're more persecuted. Or, But Jesus is worth it. The same way that he was for Stephen, he is for you and I today. Put him first. Before trying to look good to others, before human relationships, before uh, material, put him first and then let him influence how you do those other things. To truly follow Jesus as we're called to, it's not just to be an hour on a Sunday morning. We're called to be zealous for him for our whole lives. That is to be eager and passionate and keen for, for Jesus to influence our whole lives. Knowing him, obeying him, proclaiming him, loving him, following him, thanking him is to be at the heartbeat of who we are and how we live in every area. Following him should shape the way we live. Following Jesus should make a difference to the way you work in your job or the way you conduct your studies. Have a think about that and be challenged by that. It should do. Following Jesus should challenge and influence the way you play sport. Shame on you, some of you. That's because that was bad for me. Uh, following Jesus should influence the way you look for a partner or you have relationships with other people. It should absolutely influence it. It should influence the way you spend your money, the way you spend your leisure time, the conversations you take part in and don't take part in. It should influence everything. We live for him. And he sets the tone for how we live. Not our own personal preference, not the way our society is telling us to. We live for him first, not just for personal satisfaction or gain. And when we do that, he works within us and through us. I said this before, but it's true. A few years ago, when the earthquake destroyed a number of churches and church buildings, I should say, in Christchurch, a lot of the churches struggled afterwards. And St. Stephen's hasn't really. I'm not saying it's been easy. I'm not saying that we wouldn't rather have a building, our own building in our own place and all those kind of things. But we've actually continued to grow, to continue to thrive. We haven't struggled in the same way that some of the other churches have. Why is that? I'm convinced it's because we as a church knew that church primarily is not about a building. It's not about a particular time for a service. It's not even about a particular style of service. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Therefore, when we started here with bringing a number of different services together, who, who liked the new service that we had? No one. Oh, one person, Anne Kennedy. Thank you, Anne. <coughs> Anne will do confession again by herself afterwards because she probably didn't really like it. No one did because it was, it was a mix. Some of us missed the building. Some of us missed the organ. Some of us hate the drum. Some of us hate that we, we had to kind of... But it was about Jesus. It was about Jesus, and we put up with a whole lot of other things that were perhaps not our personal preference because it's about Jesus. That's who we live for. That's what needs to be our priority. That's who we stand for. What do you live for in life, ultimately? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? What motivates you and gives you energy? And for some people, it's career. For some people, it's relationships. For some people, it's pleasure. For some people... All those things will change over the years and will let you down or die or fade away or spoil. The Lord Jesus won't. So put him first. Live for him. Because not only in this life, but in all eternity, you'll be in the right hands.
I want to say this morning that Stephen is a wonderful example for us to follow. It's a privilege, I think, for our church to be named after him because he would not deny the one whom he knew he could commit his spirit to. He would not deny the one who stood at his father's side to welcome him. He would not deny the one that he knew was the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father, the one who'd secured his forgiveness and who loved him more than he could ever be loved. He put the Lord Jesus before anything, anyone, everything, even his own life. And I pray that we will do the same. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Stephen. We thank you for the way that he conducted his life. And I thank you so much for that moment when he saw the Lord Jesus stand at your hand and welcome him to yourself. But Father, even more importantly than Stephen, I thank you for the Lord Jesus, the one who is worth us entrusting our lives and our deaths to, the one who holds us. And I pray that each one of us here this morning individually, but also our church collectively, may continue to put following Jesus as our highest priority and our highest honour in life. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.